You are now listening to The Model Health Show with Sean Stevenson. For more, visit themodelhealthshow.com. Welcome to The Model Health Show. This is fitness and nutrition expert, Sean Stevenson, and I'm so grateful for you tuning in with me today. Every thought that we think releases correlating chemistry into our bodies. Every thought that we think releases chemistry into our bodies. Whether it's a thought of love and joy, it's going to release chemicals associated with things like serotonin and dopamine and oxytocin. These kind of feel-good related neurotransmitters, dual hormones like serotonin, dual hormone, dual neurotransmitter. And what we're talking about here with the hormone, we're talking about cellular communication, sending data from cell to cell, these little chemical messengers, right? Neurotransmitters doing something very similar with our nervous system. These are all creating the feelings that we experience, right? That's what life is really about. It's about the feelings because this isn't really a thinking universe. It's a feeling universe and being able to tune in and understand what these feelings, these emotions are giving us this valuable feedback and being able to understand that feedback. That's a huge component of today's topic because one of the most pervasive emotions that people are experiencing today is fear. And fear, as we just mentioned, is going to release correlating chemistry in our bodies. And fear, let's just put this caveat here first and foremost, it is a critical, important, valuable aspect of our lives. Fear is not a bad thing. It's important biochemical and psychological data. It's not that fear is the problem. It's how fear is being propagated in our world, in our lives, and how we are managing said fear. Because fear running wild can literally create a spiral of events that can lead to heightened risk of all manner of chronic and infectious diseases. And this can show up in our lives in other ways, like damaging relationships, financial mistakes, the list goes on and on when we allow fear to control us. Again, not that fear is bad and not that fear isn't valuable. It's how we're managing that fear. Now, obviously over the last couple of years, fear has run rampant at levels that we haven't seen in recent human history. And what are some of the ramifications of this seen in peer-reviewed data? Well, the study that was conducted by the CDC that was looking at over 800 U.S. hospitals and over 540,000 COVID-19 patients found that the number one risk factor for death from COVID-19 was obesity. This is something that we already knew. We knew very early on that this was going to be a huge risk factor. Turned out to be the number one risk factor for death. But the number two risk factor for death from COVID-19, the number two risk factor is far less known and far less talked about. The number two risk factor in the CDC's own report for death from this infectious disease, the number two risk factor was anxiety and fear-related disorders. Anxiety and fear being the second biggest comorbidity, the second biggest risk factor in death from this infectious disease that's really, again, taken over our lives, taken over headlines, changed the way that we associate with each other and ourselves our association with our own bodies and our own 
feeling of certainty within our own bodies, certainty of our body's ability to manage itself in the world, right? All of these things have come up as questions and issues that we're all trying to manage today. And this is why this episode is so important because now we're really looking at what is going on in our inner worlds in relationship to fear and how can we better associate with fear? How can we allow fear to be a vital, helpful aspect of our lives and not debilitate us? So again, really, really excited about this. And to address this, I have the person who's brought in to the big organizations, who's brought in for military training, who's brought in for major sports teams and MMA and all these different organizations to keynote on understanding fear and being able to utilize and properly manage fear so that it's not controlling us. And he has a wealth of knowledge. And when you hear his voice and understand this man is approaching his mid-60s and he's still out here getting it done, teaching. Even today, he drove in to see me two hours after teaching a class, you know, training in martial arts and being able to manage one's mindset and mental construct in association with confrontational issues, right? Because you're going to be pretty surprised at his approach to this because we're not talking about, even today, again, there's also another energy and propagation of this looming feeling of danger and violence, not just from things that we can't see, the invisible you know, realm of viruses and bacteria and the like, but also in relationship to human contacts, right? There's a lot of tension that's been in the air. And I believe that it's giving us an opportunity to grow, to connect, to better associate with each other, to love each other more, to find ways to be able to heal. But also, of course, we need to be able to manage ourselves in the world. We need to be able to protect ourselves. Yes, absolutely. But what you're going to learn today is that oftentimes those situations are not even necessary. We don't, get, we don't need to get to a place where those tools are going to be necessary. And so what is the mindset coming into it? How do we better manage fear? How do we feel more empowered in a world that at times can seem like it's trying to disempower us as citizens, as family members, and as sovereign individuals? So again, really, really excited about this episode. Now, understanding that our thoughts are creating chemistry in our bodies. Also, we put things into our bodies that create chemistry or that bring chemistry into our bodies and create correlating chemistry that our body's trying to match up with. This is why certain foods, certain nutritional sources for thousands of years have had a great resonance with the human body. And our ancestors figured out a lot of this stuff for us. And then today we're just like, ah, forget all that. Forget all of this hunting and foraging. Give me the Twinkie, all right? Give me the Chaka Dow. Let me get that two for 99 cent apple pie, all right? We've kind of devolved in the sense of our nutritional inputs and understanding that this is creating chemistry in our body and there's a correlation. There's an interaction with our human chemistry and these food substrates. But we also know we still have access to the very best stuff, the time-honored things. And one of the things specifically in addressing stress and our nervous system 
and helping to modulate anxiety, one of the most remarkable things found in the peer-reviewed data is a medicinal mushroom called lion's mane. A study published in Biomedical Research had test subjects with a variety of health complaints, including anxiety and poor sleep quality. They were given lion's mane or a placebo for four weeks. At the end of the study, the participants who utilized the lion's mane significantly reduced their levels of irritation and anxiety versus those in the placebo group. And also researchers at the University of Malaya have found that lion's mane has the capacity to help to regenerate the nervous system, specifically even after traumatic brain injuries is what they're working on right now. And it's pretty fascinating stuff. So take that, combine that with something that people are already doing. People are out here dabbling in their cup of joe every day. What if we can upgrade that? Get coffee that isn't littered with pesticides and rodenticides, number one, and coffee that's organic and infused with lion's mane medicinal mushrooms. Something really special is going to come of it. By the way, researchers at Stanford University recently deduced that Coffee, caffeine in coffee has the ability to defend our bodies against age-related inflammation. The research revealed that light to moderate coffee drinkers live longer and more healthfully, thanks in part to the protection that caffeine provides by suppressing genes related to inflammation. So again, marrying these two together, lion's mane, organic coffee, chaga medicinal mushroom, one of the most dense sources of antioxidants ever discovered. That's what I have every day. I'm starting my day with the Lion's Mane Chaga-infused coffee from Four Sigmatic. Go to foursigmatic.com forward slash model. You get 10% off all their incredible coffee blends, their organic hot cacao, which is infused with reishi medicinal mushroom, and also their mushroom elixirs. That's F-O-U-R-S-I-G-M-A-T-I-C.com forward slash model, 10% off everything they carry. Take advantage. This is beyond the good stuff. This is the very, very best. Go to foursigmatic.com forward slash model for 10% off. Now let's get to the Apple Podcast Review of the Week. Another five-star review titled Mr. Sean Stevenson Speaks It by So Charming. Sean is easy to follow and understand as he educates and shares from a genuine space of concern for humanity. Listen to his podcast if you want good knowledge and a refreshing perspective. Keep it coming, Sean. Thank you so much for leaving that review over on Apple Podcasts. I appreciate it so much. Keep it coming. Head over to Apple Podcasts and leave a review for the Model Health Show if you yet to do so. And on that note, let's get to our special guest and topic of the day. Our guest today is Coach Tony Blauer, and he has over four decades of experience in martial arts, self-defense, and human psychology training. His research on physiology and mindset as it relates to confrontation management and fear has influenced over three decades of reality-based martial arts and enhanced the survivability of several sectors of the military, emergency services, and the list goes on and on. And most importantly, everyday folks like you and me. Again, we're diving in and being able to dissect the anatomy of fear and being able to manage fear in a healthful way with these incredible insights from Coach Tony Blauer. You're one of those guys where you've touched the lives of so many people and it spread, it's so far spread, you have no idea. And especially today, like you really don't know who's listening or who's mm-hmm. watching, but man, I'm sure that's happened a lot of times, but also you don't seem like you get jaded by it. 
I've had a crazy, crazy roller coaster ride with the internet, with trolls, with lovers and haters, and and uh, I just, I just do what I do. I still, I was thinking about, I, I was coming over the hill from Ventura, and I had a flashback, man, of 1980 when I flew in to do my first article with Black Belt Magazine, and I'm coming over the hill. I'm 20 years old, and I realize I'm driving to. Uh, I think they were in Burbank or Valencia at the time. I can't remember. But it's, it's this, this, I think it was Burbank. And I was so nauseous and nervous, I had to pull over and dry heave on the side of the road. Oh, my God, I'm going to be in Black Belt Magazine. This is where Bruce Lee started. And this is like my whole just dream as a yeah. kid, right? And, uh, and I had those, those, again, goosebumps, that flashback driving over the hill and coming down there. And... Uh, it's it's been crazy, but the mission hasn't changed. It's what I do every day. I get up and I just I try to try to make people safer. Yeah, I mean, you know, obviously this is the thing that I don't think people realize is that so much of this really starts in our minds. Mm -hmm. You know, we're oftentimes trying to micromanage these things, you know, in the moment, these kind of surface things. But it's our psychology coming into it, and also our psychology that we've created through practice. And that's why I'm so grateful to have you here because we get to really analyze and deconstruct and put together a resilience in the face of fear. Because we're, as you know this, we're just inundated with fear. It's like a big lever that is getting pulled mm -hmm. constantly to control people's thoughts, their activities, and the like. But once we can, as one of your terms, to make friends with fear and to really be able to understand and know fear, Mm -hmm. then it's kind of opening up a new world to us. So I want to ask you about this, like go back in your story, which you were an athlete, you were a high level skier. I had no idea, first mm -hmm. of all, about that. But, and you know, of course, people are acknowledging you for this talent, but when it came to competition, fear would okay. overtake you. Talk about that. Yeah, so I grew up on skis. You know, I make this joke because originally from Canada and uh, you're either a skier or a skater. I grew up on skis. My family was in the ski patrol. I think my, my mother and father, they were like president, and vice president at some point of the national ski patrol. And so we're a ski family. I started skiing when I was three years old and I got really good. Competed in, um, you know, downhill, freestyle, all, all the stuff. But I noticed, I, I was very introspective and I noticed that I had a lot of fear, which I now recognize as anticipation of, of this challenge, this excitement. But as a kid, I was like, why do I have butterflies in my stomach? Why do I, why, why am I breathing shallowly? What's going on? And no one ever talked about that. And they still don't talk about it properly, you know, to my liking. I think we could do, we could all do a better job of communicating uh, the, the connection between physiology and psychology. But anytime I, anytime I competed, I was always like top of my class, but I'd always catch a tip or wipe out. I was going, I was going too fast. And if you follow any of Kotler's research or any of the research on flow state and, and the neuroscience of flow and all that, I never hit that because I was, I was overthinking the negative. And, uh, and that was just it. I was worried, uh, you know, am I, am I this good? Uh, I don't want to let down my team. Uh, you know, am I, am I good enough for this course? Do I deserve to be? It wasn't imposter syndrome. It was just all this chatter. And you can't hit flow state with chatter. But in one of the lines I always tell people uh, is, is it occurred to me, I was thinking, 
And I didn't articulate this as a 12-year-old or as a 15-year-old. But if I'm so good, why am I so scared? Right. And it's a heavy line. I've said that line to people in our, in our, in our workshops. And I mean, I've had people start to tear up where they realize that was them. That if I'm so good, why am I so scared? And, uh, you know, it's, it's interesting. And I love the word that you use, deconstruct, that, that psychology. And this is, this is, you know, not to be nerdy and, and pedantic, meaning use big words. I did that on purpose. But, <laughs> but, you know, we do that. We overthink stuff. And a lot of times when you talk to an expert, they complicate things right. by, you know, saying, well, you know, your, uh, your amygdala is uh, overreactive. So you're like, okay, doctor, do I need medicine? As opposed to like, just simplify this. And uh, no one did that for me. I realized that my ski coach was a ski trainer. And I make that distinction because I work with a lot of, a lot of high-level coaches, whether it's in uh, professional fighting, MMA boxing, or, or, or uh, uh, fitness, or, or anything. It's just you've got to make it so that people understand. And I'm, uh, I screw that up a lot. Where because I'm so nerdy and I'm the guy doing the research, I'm like, oh my god, check this out! This myelinization of the neuron that improves the signal speed here. It's brain based. This is interleaving. This is what we do. And like the students are going, uh, what did you just say? So, you know. But anyways, all all that to say is I, uh, I, I failed as a competitive skier, but it produced all this. Mm. You know. So I was I was very very introspective about it, and but I was afraid of everything. Wrestle. I was a good wrestler but never got on the podium. I was good at gymnastics, but never got on the podium. I was really good at tennis, never, you know, like really good at this stuff. But there was always something that I, that tripped me up. I realize now it was how I was talking to myself. Yeah, you already just touched base on, which these, all these things that you just mentioned were outside of the paradigm of what I know you for. Right. And having all these skills in all these different types of martial arts, for example. But you have this, you're like a patchwork quilt <laughs> of amazing of amazing study skill application but being able to package it up in things that are actually effective in the real world and there's this quote that you have you shared that fear is natural fear is normal fear is part of our psychological and physiological systems but the issue is that when this fear overrides our lives that's when things tend to break down so I wanted to really have you here to have this discussion because it, there's a fear that's just looming over our lives, yet in the lives that we live today, ironically, we're safer than we've ever been. You know, there was a, you know, a time throughout human evolution where everything was incredibly volatile, right? So whether it's, are you being hunted or are you the hunter you know and then just even that piece of like am i going to be able to procure family for my family for my tribe we don't really have that as a concern today uh safety rival tribes you know uh invading pillaging all the whole thing like we have a lot more comfort and safety and security and yet fear is at epidemic levels so for for you how do we actually navigate Fear. How do we start to approach this so that we can take back control of our minds? I think what's important is, you know, what you described was like the, the threats and its impact on our physiology. 
where so if we could go back in time and and if cavemen didn't speak in caveman speaking they could just speak perfect english they go yeah you know uh didn't catch anything today no fish no squirrel no bison no whatever uh my family's starving uh i'm really worried and i'm only going to live to 30 right you know so like you know because there's no doctors yet and and we've we're we're rubbing aloe on our sunburn but we don't know what you know i'm making fun here but the psychology i I think there was probably so many threats and life was so short back then that you didn't have time to have this psychological fear Mm -hmm. of worry and a lot of that because we've eliminated a lot of like nobody's hunting us and and you know, there's no saber tooth tiger. I'm on my way to school and I got to watch out for a saber, right? I think now the psychological fear is filling that void 10x, but fear has also been weaponized, particularly the last couple of years, but it always has been. The news is always bad. There's no, there's no popular station with good news. There should be of like people just doing good shit all the time, right? We don't get that because that, that would inspire us. And uh, the, the people who figured out how to hack humans, right? Silicon Valley, uh, uh, um, mainstream media, they know that we react, and all of us do, including myself. And I'm, you know, in, in many ways, you, you and I, not to put us on a pedestal, we're so introspective and, and we think about this stuff that you would think we are above that. But you could read a headline and you'd immediately turn to your wife or call up a friend and go, holy shit, did you see this? And you would have an emotional fear-based response, but it's differentiating between the physiology and psycholo- uh, psychological fears that is critical. Listen, I don't have a magic wand for you, but I will tell you this, that, that the superpower for all of us is to improve our self-awareness. When you improve your self-awareness, you improve your critical thinking skills, something sorely lacking, right? Today, especially. If we improve self-awareness and critical thinking skills, we also improve our situational awareness, our ability to see stuff coming from a distance. And, oh, I see what they're doing here. They've started this, and this is the propaganda, and this is that. Or maybe you see it, and it's, it's the way I teach, you know, you, 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 sort of not a joke, but you said, hey, I knew you for other things. I didn't realize you were, you know, into this whole side of it. This is the foundation. If you think back to Maslow and the hierarchy of needs, survival was the bottom tier. And if we can't survive, the top tier is self-actualization. So if when I'm teaching somebody self-defense, what I realized in the 80s, which were my incubator period, what I realized in the 80s was this, that only the people who managed their fear managed to fight. It didn't guarantee that they won, but it guaranteed they were in the fight, which is the only way you could have a chance to win. And then there was an interesting statistic that all victims of violence, if they fought back, even if they lost, the people that were in the fight um, experienced the least amount of PTSD or trauma from it because their dignity and their self-worth is like, at least I was fighting. And, and so there was something to be said about that, but I discovered that organically and, and, and naturally, and that evolved into the whole no fear program over several decades. In the 80s, we called it cerebral self-defense, the mental edge. This whole idea that that the mind navigates the body, and if I couldn't make that adjustment here, it really didn't matter how good I could, you know, throw a kick or block or punch or wrestle or, or what have you. So 
it it became this whole thing that w- the first and most dangerous attack was our judgment of ourselves. That was the mistake I made as a skier. I'm nervous. I must suck. Now imagine if my ski coach or my parents had said to me, because I competed for years, if and I, I make this joke when I when I when I do the full story, I go imagine if my coach had come to me 15 minutes before this last big race and said, how do you feel, kid? And, and I remember this true story, 15 years old, standing at the top of Mont Tremblant, above the tree line, freezing, but, but I'm soaking wet inside because I'm sweating. But it's freezing, like there's no trees, right? It's above the tree line. And I've already, I've already gone to the bathroom five times. I feel like projectile vomiting. I'm so scared. And uh, he goes, how do you feel, kid? And I just turned to him and lied. Great coach. And he goes, okay, man, remember, the course is getting icy. Watch out for this gate here. Got it. And I took off and I wiped out like three gates from the bottom. And, and just to give you some perspective, on that particular race, they had different timers because it was a big, big giant slalom race. One of the guys comes up to me after one of the timers. He said, man, it's too bad you wiped out because your run was faster than the guy that won. When you passed me, you were almost a second ahead of the guy that won the race. So a second in a giant slalom race is like, I don't know, a mile in a car race. Like I was that good, but I wasn't that good, right? There was something missing. And, um, but imagine if my, my, my coach had put his arm around me 15 minutes early when I lied to him and said, hey, what's going on, man? You always wipe out. You always ski off the course. I just said, nothing's going on, coach. And he said, come on. And I got, I'm scared, man. Like if I had just had the vulnerability to say that, I don't know, obviously this is a made up story, uh, you know, in terms of, of my relationship there, I don't know that he would have known what to say. I've had people in the professional education tactical training community call me and go, hey, like I had a student start to cry in class that I didn't know what to do. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, wow, we, and, and, and I think this is, if I come full circle to what I think you were maybe asking, uh, we're not teaching people how to think about their thoughts. We're teaching them how to conform in society and do this move, get this grade, uh, do this defensive tactics move, do this self-defense move, you know, do this math equation, do the, uh, memorize this English statement. And you can have writer's block or mental, you should know that more than anybody, right? You, you write so much, where when you've got procrastination and you're fixating on something, it's very very quickly it becomes a a fear movie in your mind oh my god i got this deadline i'm not going to return like oh shit. why can't i write why can't i come up and now it's really about the void and the fear and not about the skill or the talent or the message and if you can't that's where i say self-awareness improves critical thinking critical thinking improves situational awareness and suddenly i've got a greater grasp on what's going on in my universe and my world. I have no idea what I just said there. So, <laughs> so just like, you're just, just you tapped know. in. What was the question? But by the <laughs> way, even, you know, when we say no fear, you're talking about K-N-O-W yeah. fear. Yeah, no for fear. people who can't see this, we, and, and that's a funny, you remember the No Fear Company, the Adrenaline Company back from the 80s and 90s. So I had so much fear with all the sports. I bought all their shirts. And I used to make this joke. Mm. I go, these shirts are defective, guys, because I bought the shirt. And I, <laughs> and I still have fear. Didn't uh, work. Yeah. And one day in, in a seminar, 
we were just talking about this idea that if you actually believe there's a state of no fear and a place of no fear, what happens when you step outside that metaphoric comfort zone and you're about to do something different, right? And, and now you suddenly have a moment of self-doubt. If you really believe that you had evolved to the point where you were beyond fear, how hard is that crash when you, when you realize, oh my God, I am afraid. And, uh, and that's where stage fright, performance anxiety, I drew a blank. You know, you go to school, teachers as surprise test, you draw, like, like, you know the information. I always make this joke with um, people hire me to help, uh, over, let's say, overcome a fear of public speaking. And they'll go, they'll go, uh, hey, I'm, I'm afraid of public speaking. And I look at them and they go, can you help me? I go, yes, I can. And uh, they go, okay, what do, you, what do we do? I said, well, tell me a little bit. About it. They go, well, I'm just afraid of public speaking. I, can't. I go, stop, you're doing fine. What do you mean you're afraid of public speaking? You're speaking in public now to me. Mm. And they go, ha ha, no, I don't mean with you. I go, well, it's public and it's speaking. Do you, do you understand words and language and sentences and thoughts? They go, yeah. I said, then what's the problem? And I'm making fun to show them how they've created an obstacle in their mind by, by just associating me as a skier, you're getting ready for a race. I, like when I'm training fighters, I'm a little bit nervous here. You're supposed to be nervous. Someone's gonna try and knock you out, right? Mm. Like I'd right. be nervous too. Yeah. If you'd something wrong with you if you're not nervous. But I'm jokingly, I go, do you have a family? They go, yeah. Like, how do you communicate at dinner? Are you texting? Are you writing notes past the salt? Or do you say, hey, you know, are there seconds? Good? You're communicating your family. That's public speaking. And they go, ha, 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 Mr. Blauer, I'm talking about in front of an audience. I go, well, at work, do you, you know, do you talk at a, at a, at a meeting at work? They go, yeah, I'm not talking about that. What I'm showing them is this competency they've created, but in their mind, now that they're on stage, and when you peel the onion, you find out you're not afraid of public speaking. What you're afraid of is one person in the audience that can make or break your career, and you've assigned some sort of, like, intimidation button to them. And I always ask this question on a course, Sean, I go, you know, how many of you have been intimidated in your life? And everyone puts their hand up. I go, consider this, only you can intimidate yourself. When you're intimidated, it's because you're visualizing what a person or a situation can do to you and your life instead of what you must do in this situation or to that person. It originated out of uh, my self-defense program, which is, uh, I'd like to brag a little bit and say my team and I, we, we teach the most morally, ethically, legally reasonable system because it's all based on physiology, kinesiology, psychology. So it doesn't matter gender, occupation, or experience. But out of that, people were scared to do scenarios and do stuff. And I go, when are you scared of a scenario? And it could be your book launch. It could be you know, you got to get up on stage and they told you there was 50 people and you were cool with that, but it was 500 people and you went, holy shit. We're scared before the event, not after the event. And if you hit a bit of uh, rhythm and flow, you're not ever afraid during the event. It's always before. So we're intimidating ourselves. And if you can, when you lean into that, and if you understand the whole no fear program, it's about as soon as you get the fear spike, to try to figure out what exactly it is. When you figure out what it is, it doesn't mean that the fear goes away, but fear of the known 
is manageable. Fear of the unknown is pretty tricky mm. because you, you just got like nothing to hold on to. Yeah. There's no life preserver. Yeah. It's very logical. Very logical. That's again, what I love about what you do. You said that critical thinking improves situational awareness. Mm -hmm. So even when you said that, it was, it, it just kind of opened up a new door in my mind because being able to assess whether or not you should even invest that fear into that moment, mm -hmm. you know, because of critical thinking, being able to really identify, is this situation worth this emotional input, mm -hmm. right? Versus again, we're being, we're in a situation today where often like put in, we're put, we have things put in front of us that we're conditioned to be afraid of instantly mm -hmm. and not critical think about those situations. So we have that aspect, but then we have real situations where fear is appropriate. And yes. this is where your work really comes in at. And I want to actually dig in here and talk about this a bit more because you've, of course, trained and taught in so many different types of martial arts, self-defense, but your strategy is different because it's based on, and I like every time when I'm watching one of your videos or hearing you talk about it, I'm just amazed at the fact that you have this, this pillar in it of de-escalation, mm -hmm. right? Versus all of these trainings. Again, people are getting taught these different things, which are, which are wonderful. Everything has its place. But how about we just avoid the mm -hmm. unnecessary? <laughs> yeah. So yeah, it's an interesting observation. If you, if you Google uh, a definition, like Merriam-Webster, the generic definition for self-defense, you'll get variations of the physical act of protecting your property or life. So even a universal definition that inspires and influences all practice doesn't include de-escalation. It doesn't include avoidance. So many, many years ago, many years ago, like literally in the 80s, like decades ago, we created the three Ds, detect, diffuse, defend, detect and avoid, defuse, D-E-F-U-S-E, to take the fuse out. That means to disempower uh, and then defend as a last resort, moral, ethical, legal, sound force always parallels danger what's your scenario and we would teach people almost to look at violence like an architect and this is the blueprint and we'd say this is the blueprint of violence it this isn't star trek where the bad guy beams down and if you think about this have you ever done any self-defense training in high school a little bit yeah, yeah, yeah how to get so you were taught how to get out of a headlock right that's a classic where did that drill start with you in a headlock, <laughs> yes. right? Think about that. If you're taught, how to, think, but think about that. Just, yeah. you get that? It's like, yeah. you, you, someone go, hey, give me your head. And you'd bend over, put, put your ear against their stomach. They'd put their arm around you. Oh, hey, let me show you how to get out of a strangle. You turn around, right, give them right. your neck. Oh, stick a gun in my face. Let me practice a gun disarm. I'm not saying that we shouldn't include those phases but the more important phases of there's something wrong here. Listen, I'm gonna I'm gonna blend a whole bunch of stream of consciousness here for you and your audience. Every victim of violence, I've been studying violence, fear, and aggression for decades, 43 years. And I've interviewed people who've been in gunfights, people who've been raped, people who've been who've been survivors, uh, tier one military, all the way down to you know the the teenager that got attacked. Anytime I met somebody and found out, oh, I'm a pro fighter, I'm a this, I'm, I'm a sexual assault survivor. Would, if, if I could create the trust, I would, I would have the conversation. And 
my intuition was looking for threads that connect them all. And this is the most powerful thing I could tell everybody. Every single victim of violence who lived to tell the tale said they had a bad feeling before the attack. Not 50%, which would get you MVP in, the, in, in professional sports if you were successful 50% of the time you were on plate or at the free throw line or whatever. You'd be a, 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 an all-star on Wall Street you know, at 50%, not 50, 60, 70, 80. 100% of the people I talked to said they had a bad feeling. Nobody had ever told them or us or you or me, when you got a bad feeling, act on that. We call this the choose safety model. What is the safest thing you could do? And this applies actually to relationships, health, finances, but most importantly to self-defense. Why self-defense? In a violent encounter, you don't have time to dial 911. What we identify as first responders, law enforcement, or actually second responders. The first responder in your violent encounter is yourself. And if you don't have the skill, the wherewithal, and the most important thing is self-awareness and situational awareness. Because that, if you think back to what I just said, which is so potent, every single one of them said I had a bad feeling. The bad feeling is an energetic pulse, right? Your gut saying, man, there's, you know, you know, and it's funny, I make this joke about intuition because intuition whispers in our ear and then our arrogance or our fear or our cognitive dissonance or our cognitive bias shuts it down. Have you ever been screwed over in a business deal? You personally? Oh, sure. Right. After it was done, have you ever been screwed over in a relationship, like friendship, uh, uh, you know, everyone has, Absolutely. right? Absolutely. And after that dust settled, didn't you say to somebody close to you, you know, I, can I swear on this show? You already have. Okay. Keep it going. <laughs> okay. Um, you know, after it's done and you, you just, this deal was blown, you lost this money, this person betrayed you. Didn't you, when you, when, when your embarrassment and anger and frustration dissipated, didn't you turn to somebody when I knew that fucker was going to screw us or do this? Yes. No. Agree. Wow. Think about that. So your intuition knew, but our ego, our arrogance, our let's go fast. That's why the choose safety model is so potent because it says, it teaches us, it's got a bad feeling about this. What is the safest thing I do? The safest thing I do is a little research right now. And that could be on my toothache. It could be on a bad feeling walking in an underground parking lot. It could be on that, you know, something's bothering my knee, but I, I, I don't take it. I don't uh, take care of it. And then I blow my knee out or something. There's always a pre-contact cue, just like in violence. The problem is if we go back to the definition where we practice how to get out of a headlock, we don't practice identifying how someone puts a headlock on us. That's the interception point. We don't practice the courage, practice courage to avoid and leave a situation. Uh, and it's amazing. So we created a whole thing called the timeline of violence where you, we break down all of the skills and drills you could do for improving situational awareness, then the skills and drills for improving de-escalation, and then the skills and drills for uh, learning how to protect ourselves if it's a situation we can't avoid. But it's almost like we look, we look at confrontation management like an architect looks at a problem where when you only know how to get out of a headlock, as an example, you know, you're really just a handyman. And maybe if you get really good, you're a carpenter, but you're not an architect. You don't understand how to read a blueprint. Man, this makes so much sense. When you said starting from headlock, this right. is negating the, the the most intelligent aspect is not finding yourself in that headlock to begin with. Right. 
you know. But the question is again, this is getting back to awareness. So you've said this word and it's something so important. You know, we're very you're this is the thing about you as well, critical thinker and still honoring the things that we can't exactly explain, like mm -hmm. intuition, right? So for me, this is kind of that blend of where I live as well. Like there's there's so much that we don't know. Mm -hmm. And so I can even use my critical thinking to try to break down and understand it better, right? So if I think about intuition and maybe a technical term, which is, we still can't put in this right. box, I would think it's advanced pattern recognition, right? Being able to recognize scenario situations, but we've got this mental Rolodex of things we've seen, been through, where we can recognize some things. But intuition, we can't put that in that box because it's so much bigger than that. I, I've, I've tried to come up with a good def definition or find one. I've stumbled on something that I'm happy with that I've been using the last year or so. And it's, I know something to be true, but I don't have the evidence to prove it first. It's like, that's true. That really resonates. That's uncommon sense. But I don't have any facts yet. I don't. We have this term in our culture, we say animal instincts, mm. right? And we see this also, we acknowledge it more in other species and we suppress it or push it to the side in our culture. And we're even, again, I think part of it is that we're kind of indoctrinated to do that, right? Our intuition will tell us a thing, but then our, our logical mind, right, will start to use our higher order intelligence to rationalize why our intuition is wrong. Right. Right. So, and, 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 that, and that's what gets us in trouble in, in, in self-defense. Uh, is is we don't we don't want to accept the danger or to believe you know most most violence isn't committed by some random stranger you know statistically it's somebody you know uh, somebody who understands your routine so they're in that circle of trust so you don't want to believe it's the postman or the gardener or or your uncle or a spouse or or a friend or what or what have you uh, and it's interesting you know in, in the in the system and and obviously the critical thinking has produced like this very elaborate but simple and functional uh, formula, we talk about the three eyes, instincts, intuition, intelligence, that if you, you listen to your instincts and you listen to your, your intuition, your intelligence should help you. Again, uh, I think you alluded to it earlier, it's like that's that critical thinking piece. You can now explore and dive into that. And I think that's what's, what's missing. But the the magic, the black box element is the connection to fear management and being able to differentiate between the physiology of fear and the psychology of fear. The physiology of fear is, whew, I'm nervous for Sean's podcast. It's like it's a big show. I hope I don't, hope I don't screw this up. And that's the physiology. The, self, the critical thinking and situational awareness piece is, dude, you're a subject matter expert. You love this stuff. Like, like get out of your head, just have a conversation, listen and share, you know? So, uh, it's a, it's, it's a neat thing when the, I started telling this story recently and it's very powerful. So I'm going to just insert it here and you have no choice because you can't stop me. But, uh, <laughs> the, uh, uh, and not because of, of violence, just because I'm talking, right? I mean, here we go. go. We could, we could edit out. Jay. It's looming. Jump me, jump me. Um, <laughs> the, uh, uh, Two weeks to flatten the curve. All of my business, we've got, we've got all of my business, law enforcement, military, 
training martial arts and self-defense instructors, all of it is live in person. Every single course, every mm -hmm. contract. We have another vertical in my company where we design scenario training gear. Um, all live training is stopped. Therefore, all high gear orders have stopped. All live training is stopped. Therefore, all training contracts have stopped. We're a boutique company. We've got uh, a dozen on my cadre, but they're, they're adjunct trainers and there's four people at HQ. So two weeks to flatten the curve. Okay, cool. This is cool. Get to see my family, not travel so much. Two weeks becomes three weeks, becomes three months. And we got 35 courses get canceled. I'm suddenly, I do the math one day and I go, okay, I'm going to lose everything I've ever built in 40 years. I'm going to lose my home. I won't be able to feed my family. And all of a sudden it was like someone stuck a vacuum on my ass and started sucking out my insides. I'm like, uh, leaning over in my, in my chair and, you know, freaking out thinking, man, I wish I knew a fear management expert right now, you know, <laughs> and, and, but I gave myself 24 hours to wallow, yeah. to consider that I wish I'd prepared for a pandemic before the pandemic. And I called my team and I said, guys, I'm not going to sugarcoat this, but like, here's the scenario. We got to come up with something. Fortunately, our system is very cerebral. There's a lot of neuroscience. You know, it's really about, if I was going to be nerdy, it's understanding how to make biology work for us by studying the neurobiology of survival and then reverse engineering that into how do we weaponize the startle flinch and then how do we train our psychological system. So stimulus gets introduced too quickly. It could then, and that stimulus doesn't have to be physical. It could be a bad feeling. A stimulus gets introduced, introduced too quickly. Your executive function is hijacked. Therefore, you can't access the cognitive brain. And now your emotional, psychological, reactive brain kicks in. And that's, that's just all the logical flow of why did I panic? Why couldn't I draw my weapon? Why didn't I, why couldn't I step on the gas? Why couldn't I you know, put that tourniquet on the person? I was like, ah, like mm -hmm. executive function gets hijacked because the stimulus gets introduced too quickly. If I said to you, hey, in five minutes from now, the person over that table is going to choke on some food, get ready to do the Heimlich, you go really oh shit you might get an adrenaline dump but you start like game you know gaming it in your mind what you're going to do so we've identified all that stuff and for that reason i've got relationships around the world we had within three months three new websites and i've already started calling we had an online course which is crazy and you learn self-defense online people didn't understand that but because we said we're gonna teach you how to avoid it we're gonna teach you to improve your situational awareness we're gonna teach you how to de-escalate you don't need to be in person. Yeah, in person is more chemistry. We could have done this on Zoom, but it's way cooler and more energetic, more chemistry in person. And um, so I'm starting to get nibbles, but it's really early, like in, in the pandemic. And then I'm talking to uh, a buddy of mine. Do you know Steve Weatherford? Yeah, I know Steve. He's been on. Okay, cool. Yeah. So I'm talking to Steve. Super Bowl I, champion. Shout out yeah, to Steve. I go, shout out Steve. And I go, I go, dude, hey, and it's like, right. I go, do you have any ideas? Like, I'm like, this has just happened. I realized I got nothing. And he goes, like, aren't you a famous self-defense guy? And I went, well, that's the rumor. He goes, I got 150 people who watch me work out on Zoom and do workouts with me. He says, I don't charge them because they're part of our community. They're already, you know, into what we do. But why don't you think about something like that? And I was like, 
oh my God, Eureka. I recorded a video. I sent it out. I had 100 people sign up that week. That saved my company. The first, here's the whole point of the story. I'm walking around for class day one on Zoom. Now, I've taught on WebEx and Skype before. I've been you know, in the business for decades at this point. I'm walking around the house like this. And my wife, Jessie, goes, are you okay? And I said, I am so nervous. She goes, you're nervous to teach a class on Zoom? I go, yeah. She goes, uh, maybe you forgot that you invented the spear system and you're the best spear instructor in the world. Why would you be nervous? I said, I'm not nervous about everything I know and what I'm going to do. She goes, well, why are you nervous? It's Zoom. I said, because uh, I need this to work. Because mm. this could save our company. And that would allow me to continue feeding you guys and living. And she looks at me. I said, also, this isn't lost on me. 40 odd years ago, I started this company in my garage and I might save it in my garage. Mm. Wow. And it was just, yeah. right? But, but, but the point of this is I, I knew to introspect and peel the onion, Sean, and go, why am I so nervous? At first, I didn't know. Like, because when that starts, it's that wave of anxiety. And a lot of people, like I can see it in people. I go, hey, are you okay? And they go, yeah, I'm okay. I just, got, I just got really nervous. What about? And they go, I don't know. Well, if you leave it like that, well, you'll be fine. Do some breathing. You know, do some box breathing. You'll be fine. And I, I made this joke and, and uh, you know, my son wakes up uh, when he's like four or five. We're on a road trip. He's got a nightmare. There's a monster under bed. This true story. He goes, Dad, there's something under the bed. There's something in the bed. And I'm like, oh, no, Nick, there's nobody in the room except us. Like, Dad, there, just go back to sleep. And I realize in his mind, the, psych the psychological fear and threat is there. I had to get up out of bed, turn on the lights. He, Dad, what are you going to do? I'm going to go under the bed. And if there's a monster there, I'm going to beat the shit out of it. And if there isn't one, but I had to like, go through the whole thing even though i know there's no monster under but we do that with our kids go to sleep there's no monsters under the bed psychological fear is real and there's a lot of experts out there that say no the danger is real but the, the psychological fear you choose to that's bullshit. psychological fear can create a heart attack it produces cortisol it, it's psychological fear is real and if we can help people mitigate it or or understand it or control it and this is the whole thing the most important thing is people think they talk to me uh, or they try to understand it, that it goes away. M my nervousness didn't go away that day. I knew what I was nervous with so I could lean into what my message was and, and how I had to perform. And that's the big thing is that there are lots of things in life that we still need to do scared, hmm. but we will avoid them if we don't come to that realization. Yeah, man, this is amazing. And, you know, I remember... Mike Tyson, of all people, mm -hmm. you know, the scariest man on the planet, sharing a couple of years ago that he was terrified before every fight. Crying, throwing up sometimes. You know, and again, people would have no idea. They just see this guy, baddest man on the planet, all the things, not understanding what's going on in the inner world. It's not that we don't have fear. Fear is intelligent. You said, you said it earlier and it just changed my life. If you're not afraid in that situation, 
when some you you're you have imminent danger in front of you mm-hmm. that somebody else is trying to knock your head off, you would be crazy to not have fear. And plus, this is how we're wired up as a species, but being able to better relate with that fear. And also, again, that situational awareness. And I want to ask you about this too, because you've mentioned being able to improve our situational awareness. I know this is a complex topic, obviously, but are there a couple of things that we could look to for ourselves to help to kind of improve that for ourselves? Yeah, so it really depends on what situation that, that we're, we're talking about. So if in terms of personal safety, there's a couple of simple things. One is uh, recognizing that, uh, it's a little exercise I tell people, it's a little weird. It's, the, the question is, how would you attack you? Mm because you know your routine best, right? Mm. And, and it's when you're not situationally aware that of course you're most vulnerable. So is it a long day here and you're, you're tired and you're catching up on tax off shit and you're on your phone, but you're, you know, you're parked in an underground parking lot and you, you don't realize there's somebody in the shadows because you haven't, it's, it, it's almost like uh, you've decided to drive home without your headlamps on the car. And you're going, why would you do that? I mean, that's, so situational awareness is like that. You're shining a light on things that you need to look at. Uh, But, you know, you go, well, what should I look for? Well, one is, you know, like if we're literally talking about physical self-defense, it's follow yourself home, as weird as that sounds. Watch your routine and go, when would I, when would I jump Sean? When would I jump Tony? And then identify those moments of vulnerability and then be more alert there. Remembering the coolest thing is, if if I was a conventional self defense instructor, I'd say, Sean, let me let me teach you, uh, you know, how to protect yourself in an ATM. So a guy comes up to you and he's got a knife or a gun, as opposed to like if you watch, I've got I recorded a couple of ATM videos. They're online, and I, I so I make this joke. I go, there are ATMs that are located in places that clearly the people that designated the spot for an ATM was a robber. Someone said, hey, stick one on the side of this building where there's no lighting over here. I make this joke, like some of them are in the most dangerous areas. And so on this one particular ATM video, I said, I started to go, see this ATM? Do you really need to go here? (laughs) Right. Did you really need to stop here? Like that's where it starts. Go to another one. Go to another one. Or why do you need money right now? Like, are you going, are you meeting a friend for a movie? And you go, call your friend and say, hey man, you're going to have to cover it tonight. I couldn't stop to get any money. The two places I looked at, uh, you know, looked like, you know, they were, you know, serial killer traps, like, like whatever. Yeah. It's just like that silly. And that's our true safety model. What is the safest thing I could do right now? Is it to get out of the car, park here? Is it like I was, I was doing a gig in, uh, in uh, Dallas somewhere and I was trying to find this restaurant. So I left the hotel and I've got my phone, you know, on, on Apple Maps and I'm walking and the neighborhood suddenly turned really weird. Because the walking distance, you know, the walking direction is very different than driving. And I'm like walking and it's going from dusk to dark. And then suddenly I, I, I do this. Here I am, Mr. Self-Defense Expert. I'm walking with my phone. I pause because my intuition's going, Tony, what are you doing? Tony. And I stopped and I did this and I went, oh my God. Like, this is like a neon sign. Attack me. I'm lost mm-hmm. and I'm out of town. I'm walking, looking at my phone. So I looked at the map, rem- memorized the next like two things, put my phone in my pocket, got my hands out of my pocket, and again, head on a swivel, and then changed my cadence because I didn't like the neighborhoods. I didn't. It, it's just, it's doing little things like that. Yeah. That's situation awareness. 
that you would apply to um, yourself. Also looking at things that happen in the news and then going, doing your own after action like if this was you. So like when, when all those mostly peaceful protests were kicking off and families and good people were getting caught, people call me all the time, what should I do, what should I do? I go, well, you shouldn't drive into a riot. You shouldn't use, shouldn't go through the riot to get home. Like, like what are you doing there? And it was like, you're like, oh yeah. But, <laughs> but, but the question was always, how do you get over headlock? I mean, yeah. What do I do if my car's surrounded? Well, what were you like? You, you fell asleep in your car and when you opened your eyes, your car was surrounded. Like, how did you get there? Cause that, that's really, and this sounds like it's, it's so Ernie and Bert Sesame Street simple. Yeah. It's what are you doing there? Did you need to be there and, and, and start with that? Got a quick break coming up. We'll be right back. No lifts, no gifts. Here are just a few benefits of building muscle seen in peer-reviewed studies. Building some muscle mass can significantly improve your insulin sensitivity, improve your overall hormone health, improve your cognitive performance, improve your immune system, protect you against injuries and speed recovery, and defend your body against age-related degradation. This is just a small slice of what a little bit more muscle can do. Now the barrier of entry to building more healthy muscle and reaching a state of physical fitness is easier than ever. Having a few key pieces of equipment at your house can absolutely change the game for you. Kettlebells, steel clubs, maces, battle ropes, all of these phenomenal multifaceted pieces of equipment are readily available to ship directly to your door. Go to onit.com forward slash model and you're going to receive 10% off some of the most premier training equipment in the world. Simple pieces of equipment that you can do dozens, if not hundreds of different exercises with. Plus they've got incredible programs as well to teach you different techniques for unconventional training to truly create more functionality in your health and fitness. On top of all that, Onnit is also one of the world leaders in human performance nutrition. They've got the most remarkable pre-workout supplements and post-workout protein that you're going to find. All sourced from earth-grown ingredients, nothing synthetic, and they also have put their own products into real-world clinical trials to affirm their efficacy. Again, go to onit.com forward slash model. That's O-N-N-I-T.com forward slash model for 10% off everything they carry. Now back to the show. Like you said in the beginning, you know, we're in this age today where we have so much psychological opening, so much more time to be worried about things mm -hmm. than, you know, thousands of years ago when we had a lot more of the, that bottom rung to worry right. about survival. And so with that opening of, you know, all manner of things we can construct with our imagination, it's, I don't think people realize this, but it's been filled with a lot of distraction as well, right? Mm -hmm. So just the very nature of us being so distracted, so outside of our bodies, that intuition, because we're alive and in this, in this life, in this moment, it's, it's still there. It's always there. But the ability to hear it gets quieter when we're distracted, you know, like you said, with the phone, social media, all this stuff, but also training our minds to be so distractible, period, right? right? So you in that moment were able to, because of your experience and your, the, 
the far less time of being distracted, we're able to catch yourself like, hey, let me do this, and boom. The average person, though, is not even remotely going to tune into that moment. They're just going to keep their face glued into that phone yeah. and keep marching. Again, the probability of a situation, who knows? But it's still being able to be situationally aware. I think another component to add to the mix here is practice listening. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, you've got to explore it. And a, lot, and a lot of people, they go, oh, wow, this is so good. How do I practice the fear management? How do I? And I say, you got to practice courage. But it starts with identifying if you, if you can't to use your word, listen to you know, your, your second brain, say, hey, something's up here. And even if it's the most seemingly irrelevant thing, it's a rep. Do the rep on, yeah. on what does this mean? What, you know, and it could be uh, researching uh, a, a definition. Uh, you know, someone says something to you and you pretend like you understand what they're talking about. But your your intuition goes, man. I don't know what that is. I think I know what it is. Pin that, and then go study that. You become a better version of yourself, right? I, I mean, that's a really simple, silly example. Uh, you know, there's no there's no event more dramatic than sudden violence to create a realization that that you're, you know, ill equipped to handle the, the the situation. So practice that resiliency before. So if I say, hey. Sean, you got to get out in nature. I want you to start climbing hills. And you go, okay, are you going to do that? Yeah, I was Googling here, uh, Everest expeditions. I go, no, don't start with Everest, right? <laughs> so yeah. I always tell people like, you, you don't, oh, I want to learn self-defense. Like, okay, go to the most dangerous part of your town and hang out there and get beaten <laughs> up a couple hundred. Like, that's silly, right? Yeah. Um, plus, if you're a good human, you don't want to be near this at all. So we learn from the news. We, we take events. We go, Using the detect, defuse, defend model, what did this family or this person fail to, fail to you know, act on? What did they do wrong here? Because you can learn from that experience without having the experience. Um, but the, the gateway to improving the situational awareness and the critical thinking and the self-awareness is to look into fear because it's fear of expressing yourself or fear of I, I think there's danger over there but i don't want to turn and face it so i avoid it and i put metaphoric blinders on like that ensures that you don't have any skill to handle it right no awareness no chance if if i choose not to look at something i guarantee that if it ever happens i don't have a remedy for it so it's it's a scary thing you know but that's the conundrum and paradox of fear management i always make this joke fear management needs new management because everyone's afraid of fear especially type a personality guys they don't want to talk about fear and this isn't about manipulating the term vulnerability and stuff like that it's just like i'm afraid that this could happen if they don't go well how would you solve that what would you what would you do and it's really a um it's a socratic relationship with yourself and maybe you know Google, YouTube's colleagues, uh, you know, like, how do I research this? But it's the critical thinking part. And this is the neat thing. And it's, it's, it's such a Pandora's box or a, a black box element because it's, it's that intuition word that we love. You hear something and you, like we just saw in the news, did you see the thing from uh, the New Zealand prime minister? Don't believe anything you read. We will be your complete source of news. 
like two days ago. <laughs> if you yeah. see something that's contradictory to what we're telling you, take it with a grain of salt. Mm. And like, but millions of people go, oh, okay. Yeah. Right. And now suddenly it's like, you need to watch V for Vendetta, right? You need to like, but there's no critical thinking there. It's just, you know, even though, you know, what is it? Mass formation psychosis. We don't need to talk about that, but it doesn't exist. You're getting sleepy, Sean. It doesn't <laughs> exist. It's crazy. We need to look at something. And if you could understand fear management, you would say somebody's weaponizing fear because they're making me scared. Maybe this danger is real, but I'm going to, my intuition says something's off here. Yeah. So what do I need to do to research? And if you do your own research, you realize something's up. Yeah, yeah. Wow, that was a pretty consistent thing. You know, just asking people to, you know, whatever their beliefs are about how things have unfolded the last couple of years, do you feel like something's just off? You know, does something not feel right? And that was 100% of the time, 100% of the people that I asked, and I asked a lot of people. Mm -hmm. And, you know, but again, what we do is, based on our position on things, we justify, Yeah. you know, and we use our, again, higher order faculties to justify sometimes things that can really debilitate us, again, like fear. Now, again, going back to this point that fear is valuable, it's a healthy human attribute, it's a healthy attribute of all species. Mm. And- it keeps us alive. Exactly, exactly. And so in that moment when we're, again, we're able to improve our situational awareness, but let's just say that that, that portion has, you know, there's things have escalated beyond that. And now we're in a situation where there's a threat present and we're faced with that threat. Your brilliant approach is, again, what can we do to, to move away from that threat versus running towards the threat or engaging with the threat in a way that is heightening the degree of potential uh, violent outcome? So let's talk about de-escalation. Yeah. So... You know, we, we always, I mean, I've thrown around a couple of times already, morally, ethically, legally, we should avoid violence at all costs. Uh, and, and so if you only are training in physical elements of self-defense, you don't get any practice reps or knowledge on what it is to avoid and de-escalate. So we have a whole system on what we call choice speech, understanding conscience accountability, understanding how to shift psychological gears in yourself. It's a neat thing because detective use the fan when we talk about the timeline of violence, we go, look, you know, every victim of violence will lose each other to hell said they had a bad feeling. So that's detect. What are you doing during the detect stage? Because if you get that blip, like a radar blip, and you identify it, you don't keep walking towards it. I like to joke, I go, your, your intuition's like an organic biological GPS. You plug GPS into your phone, you miss your turn. What does your phone tell you? Sean, you're going the wrong way. Make a legal U-turn. Your GPS, your intuition goes, there's something off here, is saying to you, you're going the wrong way, pull over, check, check the route, make a legal U-turn, go away. But we go, no, no, this is okay, I'm okay, that wouldn't, that wouldn't happen to me. Uh, uh, and a lot of times we just shift into denial or we try to, like you said, correct it and go this, you know, uh, just ignore what our intuition is trying to tell us. Then you run to the, to the de-escalation phase, which is D2, defuse and de-escalate. Defuse, but it's spelled D-E-F-U-S-E. Metaphorically, how do I disempower the threat? 
what type of language. So we created a, a program of nonviolent postures, understanding, uh, I call it a Trojan horse strategy, where I'm not, like a lot of people will, will get into a violent stance. Go, square I, up. I, I, yeah, I don't want to fight, man, get back. But it, but your body language is 60% of your communication. So if you blade and, and one of your hands is cocked and you're pointing at somebody and you're going, come on, man, stay back, that's enticing and it's, 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 it's fanning flames on it. So we have uh, some classic nonviolent postures, which are de-escalation postures. But when we're teaching people this, we remind them of the Trojan horse story. And we talk about, and this is, this is very nuanced and, and, and hard to cover in, in a talk like this. But somebody who goes through our training, they're taught how to look at indignation. It's a very special type of anger. It's a how dare you anger. And that's very, very powerful. Uh, we ask them when they go through some very uh, deep psychological exercises on what would it cost you if you didn't fight back? If you just let this violence happen, what could it cost you? And that's a crazy conversation because you've got kids, correct? Yeah. If I said to you, uh, let's go back in time before you had kids and I meet you downstairs and we have an argument, you might take a swing, we might, we might fight. But now, flash forward, same situation happens and you've got your kids with you, your protective instinct is completely different and the way you mitigate and control your ego or your pride is like, oh, I'm not gonna do this. I got a business, I got a family, and more importantly, I've got my family with me. I'm not doing anything stupid. I'm not gonna lose my cool here, let's get out of here. So leaning into de-escalation and avoidance is stronger but you've got to do that homework, even if you don't have kids. Mm. What could this cost me if mm. I don't fight back? What could it cost me if I do just, you know, uh, uh, randomly or haphazardly engage? And so it comes back to, are you truly in a credible threat? Yeah. Do you truly need to defend yourself? You know the expression, the pen is mightier than the sword? Yeah. You've heard that? Of course. So, so in our classes, we, we tell people, the pen is mightier than the sword when you know how to use a sword. In other words, we teach people how to protect themselves with extreme prejudice to, to really, uh, um, I don't wanna say violently because it's got a negative connotation, but how else do you describe violence, right? It's lesser or greater violence. You know, it's, 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 it's like lifting weights. And, 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 and the, the effort needs to be greater than the resistance for, for things to happen. So, uh, that's subtle. I don't, you know, I don't know if I got too nerdy there, but it's when I teach somebody at the end of the class, I say to them, if you had to defend yourself or your family, would you do it? And people can look at me and say, I'd be scared, but I would. And I go, that's fine. That's good. You know you would. Now you can write the letter, meaning you can verbally deescalate because in the back of your head you go, if this goes physical, I'm going to protect myself. It's, it's an interesting thing because we've got, you know, courses for instructors and long, you know, long instructor development and professional development. But we do this one course called Be Your Own Bodyguard. It's a one-day course. And the conventional martial art mind loses their shit when they hear this because they go, you can't learn martial arts in a day. You can't learn to defend yourself in a day. And I go, you were right the first time. You can't learn how to box in a day. You can't learn jujitsu in a day. You can't learn Krav Maga in a day. But I can teach you to detect and avoid in a day. I can teach you to diffuse and de-escalate in a day because avoidance and de-escalation 
are using skills you're already really good at. Locomotion, walking around the planet, driving, getting, you know, getting somewhere, talking. We're all good at that. The, the physical portion, we're weaponizing the startle flinch and using primal gross motor movement. You already, it's hardwired in you. So we, it's almost like, like if I, I can teach you how to use a fire extinguisher in five minutes. And then I could run you through scenarios in your house. Like, let's see, I don't like how those plugs are there. Move that there. Get a better power bar. Get one with a with a circuit breaker in it. Okay. Why is your Christmas tree over there beside those? Move that over here. Oh, look, you've got your fire extinguisher beside the oven. Well, if the oven catches on fire, that might be a challenge. Can't you put it inside? Like, you you kind of like run through some scenarios. But in the at the end of an hour, you're like safer. But are you a fireman? No. Did you go to the fire academy? No. So we, we explain to people learning to choose safety and apply self-defense principles to avoid starts with just reframing. So I, I said earlier, um, connecting a story from 40 minutes ago, if you Google the definition for self-defense, it's the physical act of protecting your property or your life. It, it, it ignores detect and avoid and defuse and deescalate. And so we rewrote the definition and one day, hopefully all, all, uh, um, dictionaries will include our def definition and, and our definition goes like this. It's the decision to choose safety when danger is imminent. The decision to choose safety when danger is imminent. That means that the first intuition radar blip, I go, I got a bad feeling. I'm choosing safety. I'm going this way. And if it turns out that it was a false read, you're still safe. But if you ignore it, like most victims of violence have done in the past, you allow the danger to come closer. So, you know, that's all part of that de-escalation umbrella. Yeah. And uh, it's neat. It's, it, I, I feel like when I'm explaining it, it sounds more complicated than it is, but it's pretty simple. I mean, when you gave the example of myself prior to having my kids versus having my kids and how to handle that situation, it, it is very like a very clear scenario in how you would manage yourself and try to avoid conflict even more so. Mm -hmm. But also I love the fact that you mentioned and, and put in the necessity of like, you still have it in your mind that if it comes down to it, I will defend them, I will defend myself. That being there and being present, absolutely. But we let's do these things to not get to that point right. by de-escalating de the situation, which that's what I would turn to today versus then because I, I was all about escalation, mm -hmm. Tony. You know, I didn't talk. If there's a threat, I go right to it, mm -hmm. right? And I was actually, I don't know if you know about this system. I used the wish system. <laughs> no. Wish a motherfucker would system, okay. right? Okay. So that's what I grew up with. And so, you know, when there's a threat, you just, you escalate the situation. Mm -hmm. Like, I wish, I wish, I wish a motherfucker yeah. would, right? Versus, you know, really being able to understand, like, what? I am so grateful you said this. No one, I haven't heard anyone say this, but it's been in my thought processes, my, my thought process all these years later. I got kicked out of high school my entire junior year for fighting. I got, mm. I had to go through all these different hoops and I, I ultimately got accepted into all the universities I applied to, but I had to get letters of recommendation. I had all these hurdles. And so once I get to college, you would think I, I've learned my lesson. I didn't, mm -hmm. but now I'm a man. And so now a fight, ends up in handcuffs, mm -hmm. right? And so you start to see, or worse, right? Mm -hmm. 
you start to see how much bigger these things are for a momentary situation that's just truly at the end of the day, 99.99999% of the time, it's not worth it. You're not getting paid to fight, mm-hmm. right? So why would you run towards a fight? And that's getting into a whole nother part of the conversation, which is these are places where the skill set, and I want to reiterate this point because listening to you and tuning into your world, you continuously give credit and love and respect to all these wonderful martial arts. But understanding like even even in that expression or that learning of the thing, if you're not using that to get paid as a fighter, mm-hmm. there might be a tendency to try to like, I'm learning this thing to use it. You want to learn it so you don't have to use it right. in a sense. And that's what you're teaching. So counterintuitive. Yeah. And it's, it's again, but the great teachers do employ, implore that, employ that into their teaching, right? But it, it's more, it sounds more like a philosophy versus like real life where you're just like, you know, you're learning these things, you have these, you, you're, you're practicing arts of violence and looking for an avenue to use it, which you got to look at the bigger picture. Like what could be sacrificed? What could be at stake? Correct. If in those moments you don't deescalate the, the situation. So if you could, can you talk a little bit more about deescalation, right? So let's give a scenario where Somebody is threatening you. Maybe you are out with your significant other and they're, you know, maybe talking crazy or, you know, what, whatever the case might sure. be. Uh, can you give a scenario like what, what would you do to deescalate a situation? So there's, there's, there's multiple options and it depends on uh, really what's going on and what the threat is and what the danger is. For example, uh, if, this is, this is something that's been used by a number of students in, in real life, and it's actually uh, uh, what the, my very first ATM video I did in 2007, where I, I walk up to the ATM, and I've got one of my students filming me, and if we start with the logic and the premise of uh, our intuition is going to warn us that something's off, and, and, and I'll tell two stories. Remind me to come back to the ATM. Because uh, I always say, like, every victim of violence who lives to help the hell said they had a bad feeling. So our de- de-escalation strategy is based on, on that premise. And that, you know, it's just 100% is a good number. Right? So it's not like, but maybe it, it won't work this time. It's always there. Something's off. And uh, I had this guy in a seminar. I go, any questions? He puts up his hand. He goes, Mr. Blauer, I'm not trying to be the contrarian. Uh, I love what you're saying, but once I had a guy punch me in the back of the head at a bar. I didn't know him, so I had no chance for him. It was from behind, so how, how would my intuition have read that? And I'm not trying to, like, you know, stump the band and be a jerk because I'm, I'm digging everything you're saying, but that happened to me. And I said, wow, well, how unfortunate for you. <laughs> you might have been the anomaly event. You know, but we can't train around anomalies. We, can, we, sh- we need to train around probability, not possibility. It's possible anything can happen, but it's not probable. Let's focus on what's probably going to happen. I said, but let me ask you a question because I am curious because I've been doing this for you know, a long time. You didn't know this guy at all. He goes, nope, never seen him before. He looks at me. Never seen him before. He looks down and he goes, uh, I don't know him, but I did see him before. Well. Tell me more about this story from this, you know, this 
apparition appeared out of nowhere behind you and boom, punched you in the back of the head. And so my system doesn't work. And he goes, looks down, all the, all the seminar people are like looking and he goes, well, the week before I was at the, this bar, I go the same bar. He goes, yeah. Okay. You're at the same bar a week before go on. He goes, and we had words. I go, you had words. And then you went back to the same bar and then he sucker punched you. He goes, yeah. I said, okay, so let me get this straight. Seven days before the sucker punch, you had words with this guy. Seven days later, you went back to the same bar and you sat with your back exposed to a wall in the same bar drinking in a place where you almost had a fight a week before. And his, he doesn't say anything, mm. but his face is, yeah. I go, dude, you had seven days to prepare to block that punch, right? <laughs> just this, this idea that, you know, people want, no, but it just happened out of nowhere. I didn't know. And I'm like, that's just not how life is. It just doesn't happen. Um, and, and you've had this and, and studied this. Like people go, this, why does this always happen to me? And I go, uh, yeah, success leaves clues, but so does failure. And so does this repetitive stuff. It's, it's a way bigger picture. But it's the same three eyes, instincts, intuition, detect, diffuse. You can apply, det I use detect, diffuse, defend in business. It's not just self-defense. It's what are the pre-contact cues? How do I de-escalate this? How do I protect this investment or this project or whatever? Now, back to the ATM video. One of our, our biggest concepts that I think, I think you'll dig is this, the art and science of devaluing yourself. Bad guys only want one of three things, property, body, or life. That's a short list, property, body, or life. So if somebody, so how do you deescalate? Or how do you, how do you resolve? So another way for deescalation is to think of how do I resolve this without physical violence, right? You, you happy with that? So someone comes up to you and they go, give me your briefcase. The guy's got a gun and you got your briefcase. You can give your briefcase. If he goes, um, you know, I want something more. Get in the trunk of the car. You go, what's that list that Blauer said? Property, body. Okay, I'm going to a secondary crime scene. This is getting much worse. It's a short list and it scares people when I tell them that. I go, but the shorter the list, the easier it is to make decisions. Because if I said, maybe it's like one of like 3,000 things, suddenly it's like, well, it could be this, it could be this, it could be too long. So the devalue principle is how do I, how do I make sure that the bad guy looking at me suddenly sees me of no value and they move on and as and as as uh maybe harsh as this sounds let them pick somebody else in the moment as selfish as that sounds let them pick somebody else i don't want it to happen to me or my family and and i th i think that selfishly everyone would feel that way i mean some people would argue but this is more just an emotional thing i'm sharing with students in the moment you just want to get the safety at that moment so the devalue, and this is the, the ATM story. If you're standing in an ATM looking around, like going, you know, you're standing in the shadows. What are you, if you're an ATM, what are you waiting for? My money. Are you going to mug me before I get to the ATM or after? Always after, I got to withdraw the money. When does the bad feeling happen? Before or after? Before. Do you see how they dance? Hmm. Yin and yang. So I'm here like this. I'm at the ATM, you know. I'll pretend it's you, sketchy guy over there and the, running, the, running the equipment back there. And I go like this. I got a bad feeling. I look over and I go, F He looks like he's waiting for money, but I got a bad feeling. So what does the system say? The system says choose safety. Mm -hmm. Oh, then I remember this isn't the only ATM in the world. Mm -hmm. Get the F out of here. Mm -hmm. 
Now, if I leave and I go, uh, and I leave in a way that is telegraphic, I might escalate the violence. Hey, where are you going? Give me your wallet. Give me your keys. Give me your... So this is what I came up with. It's a fun one. You should watch it because I can't do it the way here because of the equipment. But I'm standing in front of the machine. I look over my shoulder. I look back. And then I press cancel. I take a deep breath. Stanislavski acting method, right? Take a deep breath. And then I palm strike the machine. Smash it. And I scream, you f***ing, f***ing bitch. I don't believe this. And I'm screaming at this machine. I cannot believe she emptied my account. I cannot believe she emptied my account. That bitch. And, and I'm doing this whole thing, and I'm going to tell you a true story because we did this with 80 people at a training seminar where I had them walk up. I said, if I'm standing behind you to mug you, I want a complacent victim who has money. You are now an enraged, irate, hard target with no money. If I wanted your money, you don't have any. You just told me your account's empty. And you're yelling like the Incredible Hulk. Now, I did this with a bunch of people. Uh, we had 80 people, and they would bang on the wall. The store next door, we're like 20 minutes into the exercise, and everyone's running through it. Now, here's the point of everyone listening to this. You all need to go and understand, like, I devalued myself, right? If you're a mugger, I devalue myself. If, let's say, I think you, I, I'm at a gas station, and uh, you come up to carjack me. This is a true story. I actually did a podcast with the person. These, I think it was uh, four or five guys come out of the shadow. It's two in the morning. She's outside Reno. Didn't fill up during the day. She gets the bad feeling. She stops pumping. She grabs her phone and pretends she's on the phone with the credit card company and screams, I am out of gas. I've run out of gas. My car has no gas. And my credit card was declined. You better, you better open my credit card up you know, but what she was doing is this was going to be a carjacking or, or a mugging. She said, I have no money. She calls me screaming the next day. I think you saved my life last night. She goes, these guys were walking into the shadows. They heard me screaming, a pretend call. You fucking better guy. I need to speak to a manager. I can't get stuck here. My car won't turn on. I have no gas. I have no money. Devalue. They, they stop walking and then they recede back into the shadows. The other story I was talking about, we got three cops show up like this, come into the room. I go, officers, yeah, we had a complaint next door that there something was, what's going on here? Because everyone was screaming like this scenario. It was classic, man. But it was this idea of how do you devalue yourself in a situation? If bad guys only want property, body, or life, suddenly, you know, what we're, what we're trying to do in the system, listen. When, you're, when you get scared because something's happening, the, the psychological fear system triggers a movie in your mind and you're visualizing yourself messing up. I use an acronym, false expectations appearing real. I'm visualizing a, an event in the future where I'm getting my ass kicked, I'm losing, and it's debilitating me in the present when I need to be creative, I need to be intelligent. I can be scared, but I still need to be intelligent. And so what, what happens is we're the producer, the director, and the screenwriter of, a, of a, a violent movie in our mind or a scary movie in our mind where we've cast ourselves 
as the victim in our own movie. Mm. And only self-awareness, Sean, catches you. You go, dude, why are you visualizing that? How old are your kids now? Oh, uh, wow. 26, 21, and 10. Okay. So that's a nice spread, almost like mine. Of it, I, you know, I've got 30, 20, 31, 30, uh, 25, 20. If my kids are supposed to be home at a certain time, I can't help my daughter who's supposed to be home. Is she been kidnapped into sex trafficking? Is she's getting raped? Was she in a car accident? Your brain just starts to think about these things. Only self-awareness stops it. So I don't stay up all night going, where were you? Do you know what you did to me? I go, wow. And I, do, I literally do this. I go, dude, don't even, like, do, if you go to, you like movies? Yeah. For sure. Okay. So I ask this in every, in every, I just did this. I did a seminar in Connecticut last week. I had 100 people in the room. I said, how many of you go to movies? How many of you, if the movie sucks, leave the movie? Three hands put up. Most people will stay. I go, you just wasted 90 minutes of your life. You could have been reading a book, walking outside, talking to a loved one, working out, but you stayed in a movie that wasn't going to get better. Why don't you have the psychological wherewithal to remove yourself from a movie? And the metaphor here is the movie in your mind. You got to walk out of that. And if you stay there, and this is such a heavy concept, some people, and it could be finances, health, pandemic, violence, threat, something happens on a walk and now suddenly like like a near a near close call and now hey you going for a walk this week no I'm, no I, because you think you're going to get attacked almost attacked so your whole routine changes because of false expectations appearing real and then what you suddenly realize is i've been in the house for five days because i'm afraid to go out i didn't call this person back and apologize or clear things up because i'm visualizing that it's going to go in this direction and if you get this, and this is a massive epiphany, a big fancy word for light bulb moment. If you learn to manage fear, you learn to manage time because time is the only resource you can't get back. We can't regenerate it. The longer I stay in the fear loop, the longer I'm wasting time. And, it, and it's, it's this huge profound moment where you go, if I get a fear spike and I just let it be, it'll produce a psychological movie where I'm now... Have you ever walked into a room and someone's like, you go, hey, are you okay? And they look up and they go, yeah, why? They're, they don't even have, three days later, you find out what was bothering them mm -hmm. or a week later. Yeah. They didn't have the self-awareness and the fear management skill to say, I'm fucking scared. I just heard this. I don't know what to do. So fear management actually is time management, which is massive. And if you lean into fear, you change how you think. And if you change how you think, you change your behavior. And look at the algorithm. That could change your life. It's pretty heavy. Yeah, man, this is powerful, powerful. So, you know, one of the things that's really been brought forward recently is the fact that fear is definitely contagious. Mm -hmm. And emotions in general are contagious. And now, we, you know, we have scientific innovations to where we can look at the brain and see how our brains sync up when we're in conversations and they start to mirror each other. You know, we're really, really interesting and phenomenal beings. And yet we're also very, very primitive, mm -hmm. right? So again, with fear being contagious and easily transmitted from person to person, but also 
through mass media as mm -hmm. well very quickly, that can leave us in a place to where we might lose hope or just buy into it. So what you've really been sharing recently, and I mean, this is a thread through your career, I'm sure, but you know, hearing this from you is that courage is contagious as mm -hmm. well. So can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I mean, you, you know, you said it, fear, fear is con contagious, but so is courage. You know, we're sitting here, we're scared, and we're trapped in this room. It would only take one of us to go, I got a plan, and all of us would go, oh, good, right? Uh, it's interesting because I use this, this, this uh, weird joking metaphor, we're trapped in an elevator, right? And one of us hasn't figured out that they're MacGyver, and they're going to figure out how to get us out of the elevator. But we're in there, and then somebody goes, oh my God, we're going to run out of oxygen. And then someone goes, can you do that? Can we run out of oxygen? I think so. Someone Google that. Oh no, there's no reception in here. We're going to die. And then finally, someone you know, smacks each person and goes, would you shut up? Right? We're going to get out of here. Lift me up. You stand over here. You'd... And like, it just takes that. So I always tell people, fear is contagious, but so is courage. You need to choose courage. And uh, it's, it's, nothing, it's nothing more elaborate than that, just choosing courage. Here's a neat thing. Uh, I was doing a seminar in Florida that, that our friend Jay was at. It was great. And I knew there was a guy in the front row. There was, there was his teenage son. He was a professional firefighter. And I said, I'm going to ask a question about, about a burning building after. Don't answer right away because you'll know the answer. He says, okay. So I say to the group of 60 plus people, I go, how many of you now that we've done this no fear program where you understand you can't be brave if you're not afraid? If I looked at the primary ingredient in a bottle of courage, it would be fear. If you do something, Sean, that requires no courage to do, were you really brave? No, you just did that. So like if, you're a, uh, if you have a death wish and you jump off buildings with a wingsuit, and you're an adrenaline junkie, and you're a Red Bull sponsored, and I go, man, that was so brave. And you go, brave? I love doing it. I'm like, no, I'm trying to get as close to the ground before I can, do. like, where, if you're scared and you do it, like my friend Andy Stumpf, I don't know if you know Andy, uh, you know, a uh, uh, former SEAL, or retired SEAL, and, but he, he base jumps. And I asked him, you know, I said, dude, talk to me about fear. You're like, you're jumping in a wingsuit. He goes, yeah, lots of fear. That's why my, my preparation is meticulous. That's why my fitness is, protect, is meticulous. I said, oh, that's the difference between fear management and no fear, and no fear versus getting to no fear. But um, so here I am in Florida, and I go say to the group, how many of you, now that you know, you can't be brave, you're not afraid, you see a burning uh, building and somebody screaming, oh my God, my kid's inside or my dog's inside. How many of you know you would run in there? And everyone's like, whoa and this woman puts her hand up like halfway and she goes i'd like to hope that we could be the courageous bystander now that we have your program i said fair enough i mean that's all you can that's the socratic conversation i said there's nobody in the room here anybody and i look over at the firefighter nobody knows he's a firefighter and i go is there anyone here that knows for a fact that they would run into a burning building the guy puts his hand up i go you do you know that it's pretty cocky of you I go, how is it you know that? He goes, because uh, I'm a firefighter. I said, oh, and everyone starts laughing. And so the idea is that, that the difference between the two people was he has done reps. He understands what he has to do. So that's the, you know, 
that's that's that that missing joke but the mind navigates the body if if your relationship with fear doesn't even allow you to show up that's the bigger problem so it's it's a it's a neat it's a neat thing but um man i got i got so many so many stories about that and we started off with you know trying to pin me down on de-escalation what i do to help people de-escalate is i don't give them things to memorize that doesn't work i give them principles and concepts i tell them you're a human weapon you know how to fight you just don't know you know how to fight because you've been domesticated if we went back 200 years ago you'd know how to use a black powder rifle you'd know those mushrooms get you high those mushrooms kill you because we were hunters and gatherers right so we've all been domesticated but all of us are human weapons we all know how to move we and we've also been um through osmosis led to believe that a real fight scene looks like a john wick fight or a bruce lee fight or a <laughs> but if you look at if you truly study violence you don't see technical martial arts you see fear management and movement uh so what we do is we demystify the whole thing and then we just give people principles that they start in the, 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 like the most important principles are avoid at all costs. Don't let ego or pride dictate your next strategy. Catch yourself visualizing your failure and ask yourself, why am I arguing to be right about failure? Oh my God, I can't fight this guy, I can't do it. As opposed to what do I need to do to get out of this situation and then commit to that. And, and and a big reframe. I said it. I said it before. You can't be brave if you're not afraid. That that blows people's minds because for some reason they think that to be a public speaker, to be a great athlete, or to be a great parent, or to be an entrepreneur, or to defend yourself, that you're fearless. And uh, and and it needs to be spelled with a hyphen. Fearless, right? But the fear will be there. And you need to use it as fuel. One last metaphor, if I can. Your body is your car in the metaphor. And your mind is your nav system. And your fear is the fuel. Don't be a contrarian and say, I drive electric, right? For the metaphor, we're, we're using fossil fuel. And a lot of people, the fear, meaning I'm going outside my comfort zone, I'm going a little too fast. The, so I hit the gas. A lot of people, the metaphor is fear is in the backseat, the backseat driver going, you're not going to make it. You're going to miss your turn. You're going to show up late. You're going to screw this up. And it's a little whisper that nobody hears. You okay? You ready? Yeah. Yes, coach. I'm ready. As opposed to, no, I'm scared shitless. We need fear to be a co-pilot that I look over and I go, hey, I'm about to go fast. You better put your seatbelt on because we're doing this together. And uh, these simple little visuals really, I mean, they really help. We don't make, we don't make it like hard to understand. But I mean, it's, 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 it's tricky. It's like, hey, describe the, the taste of sugar without saying sweet. At some point you do your best and you go, here, put this in your mouth. And you go, oh my God, it's sweet. Yeah, see, I told you, like, you gotta, you gotta taste this stuff and try this stuff. So for anyone listening, how do you do this? Practice courage by identifying anything in your life, no matter how small it is, sending back food, asserting yourself, like I ask people, you know, you go to a restaurant, do you always send food back that's not cooked to your liking? Most people know. And I go, say no. And I go, why? And they go, well, I go, because you don't want it to come back with special sauce. And they're like, yeah. Well, first of all, why are you eating at a restaurant where you might get special sauce? Second of all, why do you think that is? Like you saw it in a movie or somebody said it and that became our conditioning. 
And, and as silly as that is, that's practicing courage. How you say, hey, of course, how you ask the waiter or tell the waiter, you might get special sauce, right? <laughs> like you got to be polite and you got to be nice. He's talking about spit in your food. Right, right. For, for or something else. Like, is he talking about McDonald's special sauce? Right. <laughs> no, not that special <laughs> sauce. Um, but it's, it's, if you remember the old, the old roadhouse line, be nice until it's time to not be nice. Yeah. Right. But avoid it all. Anyways. And just like a Gatling gun of info. Hopefully, hopefully and it's then you're gonna you then you're gonna end it with Roadhouse. I, huh. This is true story. I just watched it maybe like six months ago. You know, shout out to Patrick Swayze. Yeah, yeah. And that, that you know what's so interesting about that film, like looking back on it, is the fact that he was doing your protocol de-escalation, mm -hmm. right? And that was his main thing. It's not I that I can't. It. Yeah. But let's, there's no need. We don't have to get to that place. Yeah. And, and responding, even in even in kindness, in in some instances. But you know, it's it's your man, Tony. You you are a pioneer and a great thinker and necessary. You know, you've helped so many people. You know, you shared just a couple of those moments of like, you know, you never know who's listening and just getting back to you. The impact that you're having on all these different. Um, dimensions of public service you know whether it's you know military and the like and your thing is about you too it's just like you've got so much more in store for us and i could just see that in your eyes and man i just appreciate you coming through and hanging out with us can you share where people can get access to some of this training sure Probably the best thing to do is go to my main website, HQ, and it's blauertrainingsystems.com. My last name, B-L-A-U-E-R, systems uh, training. That sounded awkward. Blauertrainingsystems.com. That's my, my main uh, website. Of course, I'm on you know Instagram. If you can find me, you might have to type in the whole name to find it. Uh, Facebook, LinkedIn, you know stuff like that. Uh, but... Yeah, it depends what you're, you know, what you're looking for. We have four divisions in our company. So if you're interested in the physical training or our scenario equipment or our no fear program or the coaching, I, I will tell you this. Uh, if I'd been taught as a kid how to look at fear differently, I, I'd, I'd have been more efficient in my life. I'd have worried less. I'd have more hair, less gray hair. I, I, I would hope that I would still be, I love what I do and doing what I'm doing, but in, in terms of efficiency and effectiveness, way more successful because you would sit around metaphorically or literally biting your nails and worrying about the future and worrying about, should I do this or, or not? And it's all, no one even to this day still talks about the difference between the physiology of fear and psychology of fear. There's a simple way to uh, embrace this so that whether you're a parent or an entrepreneur uh, or, or just a good human, but Get your 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 kids uh, thinking about this stuff. I mean, I, I, again, I, I got my brain is flooded with with success stories where, and we're off on a mini tangent for a second. My first passion was teaching people how to protect themselves, but I would teach them, but I would teach them fear management as a way to access the physical skills because we're doing all these really intense scenarios. And then I started having parents and people say, hey, I used your cycle behavior uh, to help my daughter get off her, her antidepressants. And I'm like, what? And then I get another mom say, 
hey, I love your self-defense class, but one of my kids is afraid of swimming and I used your cycle of behavior to help them overcome their fear of swimming. Then I had a Krav Maga expert who did one of our trainer courses call me up two years after and he said, verbatim, he said, your cycle behavior and your approach to managing fear is more effective than anything I've learned in 20 years of psychology and I'm using it to help vets overcome their PTSD. And I was like, I'm like, what? And, and so we're, I'm working with him now to develop a program for therapy for mental health. I mean, it's amazing where this is going because it's just, it just works. But it works because it's not based on someone else's research. It's based on me getting feedback from real victims of violence and what they did to navigate that. And I just happen to be the vehicle and, and have the, the, the opportunity to go. And it's just an insight. Like I could create the formula from their story where they couldn't. And that's just, that's just my role and my goal. Share that. Yeah, man. Well, thank you for sharing it. Thank you for putting yourself in the position to be able to absorb this and also to have the, the courage to teach this, yeah. you know, for as long and or as well as you have. And just looking forward to seeing what you do next, man. I appreciate you. Thank you, buddy. I appreciate it. I'm very excited to be here. It's been, you know, I've been a fan of yours for, for many, many years and this show. And I was like, I, I, you know, it's, I'm on a lot of shows where, you know, it's, it's cops, it's military, it's fighters, but that's a captive audience, you know, to, to get onto your show is a big honor and I hope it inspires people. Yeah, man. Thank you so much. And again, man, I, I'm really just blown away. No fear, everybody. K-N-O-W fear, Tony Blower, the legend. Thank you, buddy. Let's go. Thank you so very much for tuning into the show today. I hope you got a lot of value out of this. Please share this out with your friends and family. This is an important conversation for us to have and looking at this really important dynamic of the human experience. Remember, you can send this directly from the podcast app that you're listening on or take a screenshot and share this on social media. You can tag me, I'm at Sean Model on Instagram and tag Tony as well. And of course, you could share this on Facebook. I'm at The Model Health Show on Facebook. And I pop in on Twitter from time to time too. I'm at Sean Model. So share it up. Sharing is caring. We're going to keep this empowerment going. We've got some incredible masterclasses and epic guests coming for you very soon. So make sure to stay tuned. Take care. Have an amazing day. And I'll talk with you soon. And for more after the show, make sure to head over to themodelhealthshow.com. That's where you can find all of the show notes. You can find transcriptions, videos for each episode. And if you got a comment, you can leave me a comment there as well. And please make sure to head over to iTunes and leave us a rating to let everybody know that the show is awesome. And I appreciate that so much. And take care. I promise to keep giving you more powerful, empowering, great content to help you transform your life. Thanks for tuning in.